0: This episode of The Unseen Hour is sponsored by ScareSpace. ScareSpace provides an all-in-one metaphysical platform with easy-to-use, non-Euclidean tools that make it simple to set up an isolated pocket reality, or just a pool of witches jelly. With ScareSpace's fully transparent support team, whether you're imprisoning your enemies, selling incomprehensible artefacts from beyond the dark planets, or starting a blog to share fan art of your favourite podcast, you know, the one about a steward coward who keeps dying, ScareSpace has you covered... Whatever it is that's growing inside you, slowly leaching off your bodily fluids, you need to get it out there. So be sure to use the code UNSEEN at checkout to disable the traps. Scare Space. Start here. Don't move. Don't. Move. (laughs) And Yellow Apron. Are you lazy and unimaginative? Yellow Apron provides you with fresh ingredients in the correct portions to make delicious home-cooked meals. Their recipes are selected to encourage sequential recurring dreams of distant and human cities or to bend your mundane daily grind into a twisted nightmare. This week, try their green tea-infused edamame salad. You'll be absolutely certain there's something in the room with you.
1: (laughs) The Unseen Hour is on Patreon. We really love making the show. But the sponsorship advertising you just heard was fake. And we're not above holding the show to ransom, if you won't cough up the scratch. So visit patreon.com slash Unseen Hour. That's P-A-T-R-E... Wait, let me me start again. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot C-O-M slash U-N-S-E-E-N-H-O-U-R to support us. The rewards are just badges, really. Uh, It's all we can do to make the show every month. But sign up anyway. Dead serious. Patreon. Go now. Do it. If you like The Unseen Hour, why not leave us a review and help lure unsuspecting new listeners to the show? One reviewer described The Unseen Hour as stupid and nonsensical and supposed to be a comedy. (laughs)
2: Always dignity. Can you tell me what it all means? Shut your eyes.
1: Stop your ear.
0: No, no, you must get away from ear, ear. I want to talk to whoever's in charge! Charge, charge, charge! Ask me, hello! What do you want to know?
3: You enormous imbecile!
4: I have so many regrets!
2: The first time I heard the podcast, I thought it must be some kind of prank. Someone was targeting me with an elaborate and practical joke. A game to mess with my mind. But when I started to investigate, I very soon learned that it was much, much more. For the Carcos Broadcasting Company and Unseen Things Productions, I'm Rufus Strikeforth. And this is the Unseen Hour Files. 17, I was working with a Carcos broadcasting company as a researcher and investigative journalist when I received an anonymous note, mysteriously hand delivered to my desk. It simply read The Unseen Hour, a horror comedy podcast available on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. These words naturally were utter nonsense to me. I needed to speak to an expert. That's, me, hello. That's the voice of my friend and producer, Lauren Sebastian Fox. <laughs>
3: That's right, radio and online content audio producer, champion of the new medias, and level headed voice of reason to investigative journalists who get swept up in the complex webs of their own stories. Always on hand for insightful comments, reading of relevant quotations, and just a friendly chat. But about me, there, in case you were wondering.
2: Thanks, Lawrence. Now, after you explained to me what a podcast is, we tracked it down and downloaded it from the iTunes. Is that right?
3: Actually, I use Pocket Casts on my Android device.
2: <laughs> yes, beep-boop. <laughs>
3: exactly. And, of course... What we found was quite disturbing.
2: What we found was a comedy anthology show, an audio drama which depicts supernatural or exaggerated events which frequently result in the end of the world or the corruption and/ or death of the protagonist. But this wasn't the most worrying part. The really scary thing is that the protagonist is me. <laughs> So there was an online radio drama, apparently fiction, but featuring a main character who appeared to be a stupider, more cowardly version of myself. What did it mean? Being, as I mentioned, not a stupid coward, I decided to investigate. But where could I start? How does any of this actually work?
3: Well, I've got a contact for you, Strideforth. She's a hacker. Uh I consult about any computery internet-y stuff
2: and that's how I was introduced to the hacker that I knew only by his screen name Emoji Perch.
0: What do you want to know?
2: um hello, hello uh hello hello yes um i I suppose I want to know who who is making this this podcast and how they know so much about me.
0: Okay, you're not going to be able to find that out
2: but really?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can trace their IP and get details on them, but if you want to know stuff like motives, uh, you'd probably have to actually talk to them or something.
2: Yeah, I I could probably do that. That's
0: fine. Oh, you're prepared to have actually uh, IRL contact? So, uh, their email and website are fake. There's nothing at unseenhour.com. Check it yourself. But try their Twitter or Instagram. They're at unseenhour on both, and judging by the pitiful number of followers, they'll probably be glad of the attention. Great!
2: Great, man. You've been really... You've been very, very helpful. I liked how rude she was. It gave me the impression that she was decisive and in charge of her own fate, empowered. Naturally... I fell immediately in love with her. But that would have to wait. I had investigating to do. I leapt onto my bicycle and set sail for the Twitter. There goes my bicycle. When I arrived, all seemed quiet. I started my recorder and knocked on the door marked Unseen Hour. Twitter a kite of the unseen hour who's asking I'm huh, well well don't you know I'm Rufus Stridefall never heard of him from the podcast aren't you the one that makes it me no no, no. I'm, I'm a supporting character
3: at best uh, what uh, uh, no nothing uh, I never even listened to it uh, I don't think anyone does. uh, They just send me strange little sketches, uh, self-referential quips and sycophantic messages addressed to other podcasts. I'll put my beer. Who? Who sends them to you? don't know. I'm I'm just a stooge, I swear.
2: The social media sites were another bust. I was exhausted from all the detective work, so I thought I'd have a go at developing the will-they-won't-they thing with emoji purge. That's when she gave me the first real
0: lead. They've been wiping the internet clean. Someone doesn't want you to find them.
2: Intense stuff. More on that after this almost entirely unrelated but rather whimsical monologue.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
5: Down at the bottom of the garden Among the birds and the bees There live a lot of little people They call the... Elves They're called elves (laughs) And if you ever encounter one, take it from me, do not call them little people, or short people, or ickle cutie diddy people, for they are not people, they are elves And they are the right size, they are not little in height, the same as the handspan of the average president, with arms the length of a thrice puffed cigarillo and shoes the size of Hitler's Tash. And before you ask, no, they do not respect the work of Will Ferrell, but they love Kate Blanchett. I mean, <laughs> she's Kate frickin' Blanchett, and they're glad, real glad, of her height washing performance. The following elf historical event I discovered in the Annals of the Bodleians Mythology and Mayhem section, tucked away as it was between The Unicorn Eunuch Maker and The Chimera Crime Era. It is a tale of miscreants, mistreatment, and revenge, and it's better than anything by H.P. Lovecraft. I don't care what they say. Mountains of madness, my ass. The only thing I remember is squawking bloody penguins, for Christ's sake. The following account is one that was only recently petitioned onto the Elf School syllabus. There is a version that you may be more familiar with, but it differs somewhat from this version, which has rarely been heard by the larger, more curvaceous human ear. Until <laughs> now. Caveat I wasn't able to get the actual book from the Bodleian, so this is based on my notes and with a few little humorous or informative comments from. Yours truly. <clears throat> Down at the bottom of the garden, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, elves, up at the top of the garden, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, the shoemaker's workshop, where a shoemaker lived with his wife. He made shoes, earning him the name and title of shoemaker. She was his wife, earning her the name and title of shoemaker's wife. For at this time, women were expected to be deferential to men, and this shoemaker was certainly guilty of bringing his wife to heel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness we solved that problem. The shoemaker worked tirelessly, stretching leather, writing UK 10, US 12, Euro 42 to 43, on the inside of each item, and wrapping those little plastic aglet things you get around the end of shoelaces. He did this all day, every day, even on Christmas, because he was born a Quaker and never had the good sense to ask questions. But he strove... (laughs) tirelessly, day and day, to put food on the the kitchen counter so his wife could cobble something together. Hopefully something different to whatever they had last Wednesday, which quite frankly tasted like that smell you get on your fingers when the toilet paper breaks. One day, the shoemaker found himself well and truly whelmed, and then overwhelmed with how much work he had to do, that he whiled away long into the evening while listening to the album Little Criminals by Randy Newman. Anyway, long story short, the shoemaker was unable to finish the shoes that evening, and blah, blah, blah. The elves broke into the shop and finished them, blah, 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 and the next day the shoemaker was socked, sorry, shocked, uh, by what he found. He admired the craftsmanship of each shoe in its entirety, peering through every little crevice to ensure the inside was as beautiful as the out. After all, the eyelet is the window of the soul. (laughs) And the elves, a father and his three daughters, returned the next night, and a few more times after that, and... But then, one day, the shoemaker's wife vowed to thank the little people for their help, and so made them all little clothes and laid them out on the workbench. When the elves came in the next night, they lost their little shit. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is this? yelled Mary Jane, the youngest and most beautiful elf. (laughs) After everything we've done for him, this is all we get. And what's this ghastly music? Randy Newman, shouted her sister, Philippa. More like Randy stuck in a past, man. Ineloquent, perhaps. But Philippa Flop was no lone elf in her disgust. Randy Newman had been vilified throughout the elf community since 1977 when they collectively misinterpreted the intention behind his song Short People. Has not got a friend in me, hollered their father, Doc Martin, to vigorous applause from his three daughters. Gruff and octogenarian, he genuinely looked like a shrunken Martin Clunes. <laughs> anyway, the elves had had enough. They put on their special nighttime mischief gloves and made camp behind the objects that adorned the workshop shelves, oil lamp and knife in hand. When the shoemaker and his wife opened the shop the next day, the elves on the shelves jumped down in turn and surrounded the pair of shoemakers. The eldest daughter, whom they had nicknamed Mule for the her whom they had nicknamed Mule for her unfortunate laugh, tied the shoemaker's wife's hands together with shoelaces, careful to ensure as much lace burn as possible. Mary Jane picked up the size four stiletto she had been sharpening and with it sliced at the shoemaker's right wrist until his hand hung by a thread. She brought the stiletto down hard and fast on his crown. Give it some willy, Doc Martin Martin shouted, and she clogged him again. So gruesome was the sight of the embedded spike that Mule promptly vomited into a brogue. What? asked Mary Jane when she noticed that her sister's face had turned green. If an injury has to be done to a man, then it it should be so severe that his vengeance be not feared. The elves all nodded at the logic and placement of such a well-chosen quote and stood back to admire their handiwork. I call this piece the conscious and the unconscious, proclaimed Mary Jane. And with that, they beheld the behanded shoemaker one final time placed a copy of paulo freire's pedagogy of the oppressed on the lap of the shoemaker's wife's ashen face and stole from the workshop wiping the door wiping the door handle clean with the clothes they had been so insulted by the more astute of you will have spotted the differences in the elves account compared to the human account but whoever said elves were kind i ask you certainly not experience or terry pratchett You'll have had it in your mind, no doubt, that elves were selfless, nature-loving creatures, skipping among the flowerbeds and tickling the noses of lost children while sugary fairy music hums about the air. Not so. These elves were far less attuned to the noise of a piccolo than the poise of a niccolo, and Machiavelli would have been proud. (laughs) Thank you. After all, it is better to be feared than loved, if you cannot be both. And the elves have a one-track mind. There is much more to be said about the mischievous actions of the average garden gnome or sewer sprite, but the elves did not come last night to help me finish those stories, so...
2: <clears throat> Emoji Purge! I got you a message! What have you got? I thought I'd try being slightly rude to entice
0: her. Someone's been scrubbing the net.
2: Well, that just sounds like a lot of stupid gobbledygook to me, stupid lady.
0: Yes, you probably would. Let me put it simply. A very clever hacker, that's a person who can use computers for things they're not usually meant to do... I didn't
2: think that, that being rude was paper. working very well, so I decided to change tack and be very, very nice.
0: Fortunately, I'm even better hacker, and I can tell when someone tried to cover their tracks like that.
2: God damn it, you're clever.
0: So... Awfully for the I'm so I'm
2: so glad you're helping
0: me. Okay, fine, whatever. Your producer's paying me. Look, I set up some keyword searches, and you know what? You don't have to understand how it works. The company that has been trying to hide the podcast is called the Oberhauser Outlet for Electronic Entertainment and Obscure Online OnTent. Ooh.
2: Ontent? Shouldn't th- thin end of the wedge. Shouldn't that be content?
0: Ah, oh, I just have what's written here. It says on-tent. Of
2: course, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Well, I suppose I'll just dash off in the unknown and then risk all the <coughs> life and limb and... Uh, oh, she's gone again. <laughs> How thoroughly beguiling. <sighs> the Oberhaus outlet for electronic entertainment and obscure online on-tent, ooe proved to be a big... Scary skyscraper.
0: Can I help you? I probably can't. I'm not much good, I'm afraid.
2: I want to know about the podcast, The Unseen Hour.
0: Said nobody ever. Are you recording? (laughs) Yes, I am!
2: I'm a journalist.
0: Oh, no, 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 I I don't like being recorded.
3: Oh, is this asking questions? We who occupy big corporate skyscrapers don't like little snoopy little journalists recording our probably unethical practices.
2: He'll expose all our (laughs) villainy. Actually, as an ethical journalist, when I am asked to stop recording, I am morally obliged to do so. He has ethics! That probably means he's physically weak. Let's beat
3: him up! Oh no! Physical weakness! My only weakness! Get him!
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> After I was unceremoniously ejected from the Oberheiser outlet for electronic entertainment and obscure online content, I decided to take a more subtle approach, which. Also just so happened to mean further contact with the alluring hacker.
0: There's one other route I can try. If we go directly to the files online, we can find the data analytics and probably where the feed is hosted. Really?
2: Gosh, well, it does seem like you could have mentioned this before.
0: I could have done, but I didn't. So needlessly
2: antagonistic. Oh, ain't she wonderful? So, what have you got?
0: Well, actually, it looks like they have sort of medium-level listener numbers. Well, in the top fifty percent. Well,
2: good for them.
0: But none of the listeners seem to take the time to engage on social media or rate and review the show. <laughs> that pretty much condemns the show to an excruciating limbo of vague quasi-popularity. Right, right, yes,
2: but but they, they, they probably like it that way. What you know? What with it being a, a mysterious, possibly magical, potentially oracular myth cast.
3: Oh, side they, they want as many listeners
0: as they can get, probably.: I found a yeah. domain where the feed is hosted, and there's a mysterious file labelled, uh, play about two-thirds of the way through dot Coco Brown. But what is it? I don't know. Let's open it and find out.
4: Walk through the valley of the ones you love. Walk through the valley of the ones you love
6: A lot of my journey has been questioning Questioning who I was and why and how I identify and why being seen as mixed race made me so proud and why being labelled as black was such a bad thing and how I wore my anti-blackness like a badge of honour. My narrative has always been anti-black. Looking back, I wonder if my dad has anything to do with that. I wonder if the absence of dad is somehow equal to the absence of black. If being drowned in whiteness Grasping for the smallest piece of black culture, grasping at the smallest pieces of that culture, just to feel like I belong to that culture, but always feeling rejected by that culture, was at the base of my preference. Somehow proud to say that I'd never date a black boy for no reason other than the fact that he was a black boy. You see, preference can become a fetish when you're the oppressor, but what about when you use that preference as a suppressor? What then? Does my lack of knowledge for that culture allow me to oppress that culture? And how did I have the audacity to say it out loud? To infect the atmosphere where I stood so proud? Mm. A lot of our narrative is anti-black. You see, it's absorbed through the pores, and so as it pours in, drowning your next of kin in the pool of social media hashtags of skin lightening, photoshopping the way that we see beauty, we look through their bifocal lens, short-sighted, close-minded, obviously this is not the way that things should be. So then why, why did I feel the need to hide from the sun all those times? Staying in the shade is no fun, saying, I don't want to get a tan. I don't want to get too dark. And then what does that mean for my naturally dark-skinned friends? Does that mean that I subconsciously shed shame on them even though their beauty breaks down every beauty standard set? They set milestones and surpass them in one fell swoop. They break down the barriers that were built to break them. So what does it mean for those friends? When I protest to letting in the vitamin D because I believe that getting dark just wasn't for me.
4: the. Mm-hmm. So walk through the valley of the
2: Turned out to be very enjoyable, but not in a light sense. <laughs> Nonetheless, I had a lead, and I was determined to look courageous for Emoji Perch. The Domain turned out to be a tumble-down shack on the edge of time. The sun was dipping below the horizon as I locked my bicycle to the railings. There we go. <laughs> Good bike lock. Sitting on the porch was a strange creature dressed in a suit made of cassette tapes. Laid across her knees was a vicious looking shotgun. Mike. A shotgun microphone.
4: Oi! No trespassers!
0: I have a right to know what's inside that shack! You sure you want to know? Sure your stupid and cowardly mind can handle the metascoping, metafictional infinity mirror of looking into the very source of your existence. I am not a stupid coward!
2: I felt sure I had come to the right place. And I had some idea what I would find inside, since there was one character I hadn't encountered yet. A character that regular listeners would know was often saved for the climactic end of an episode.
0: I'd recommend giving up. These things usually don't go well.
2: That's right. Featherstone, keep him
1: talking. I'm almost close enough to. No, oh! Ah! Oh. Oh. oh, oh, it's you. Gosh, what piano? Why? No, I'm who's karateing. No, I'm not. <laughs> you really don't look the way I expected you to look. Ah, yes, the the microphone adds
2: ten pounds. No, it's not. It's not that. It's
1: just. But... It's all the hair. Oh yes, well. Sometimes bold and bald sound similar in
2: descriptions. No, fine head of hair. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't you, aren't you supposed to be inside? That would, that would seem like a, an appropriately fitting climax.
1: Ah, foolish strideforth. But you will never pass through this door. Oh, oh. oh. oh gosh. Uh, my dear. Featherstone and I shall kill you before you get oh, close!
2: Oh, no! Get away from me! You. Extemporaneous oh, murder! No. Stop doing that! Oh, whoops! Oh, Please. oh, no! Oh. Oh. Oh, dear. Poor fellow. <laughs> <sighs> well, you're not, you're not going to attack me, too, are you?
0: Well, me? Nah, no, yeah. I'm staying well out of it. Ah,
2: jolly good. Well, then, <laughs> uh, I suppose that I'll, I'll see what's behind this mysterious
1: doer. And so, Strideforth steps from a world collapsing under its own Hello, there! Um, Yes. Uh, Hello. (laughs) What, what, um, what, what are you doing here? Not entirely
2: sure. Um, where, 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 where exactly are
1: we? This is the episode summary. Um, it's a uh, conclusion, the, the kind of moral of the story. Ah, no. yes!
2: So you, you can tell me what, it, what it's all about.
1: Well, we we try not to be too didactic. Uh, we, we usually just sort of sum up the situation, or, or give an ironically glib rationalization that's supposed to raise more questions than it answers. Uh, it Seems like you can get out of jail, can't Yes.
2: Does it, does it, does it work? Maybe. Um,
1: it, it gives a sense of finality.
2: Oh, I see. Yes, I suppose I've, I've rather scuppered that this time. Yes, and... yes. Yeah, that's awkward.
1: This has been an indulgently navel-gazing episode of The Unseen Hour. Never had one of those before. Right. Oh! Oh! I was... Oh, you're doing it, aren't you? You're doing the, <clears throat> the thing.
2: Sorry, good. The Sorry. good. Sorry. <gasps> Sorry.
1: We hope that you were made reflective by The Unseen Hour, Episode 22, The Unseen Hour Files. The Unseen Hour is recorded live on the first Wednesday of every month at the Rosemary Branch Theatre in London, courtesy of unattended items. Join us next month to see The Unseen. It was performed spiritedly by Bryce Stratford, Joey Timmons, and James Carney, and featured a monologue written by Joseph Cullen and performed by Richard Holt. The musical guest was Coco Brown. Theme music by The Unrecorded. The Unseen Hour is an Unseen Things production created, written, and produced by James Carney, and the podcast is produced in the dark by Andy Goddard. <laughs> Unseen Things will be at Vault Festival in February with both The Unseen Hour and a brand new play called The Thing That Came to Dinner. Woo! Yeah! In which an elegant dinner party is ruined by a slavering intergalactic space mutant. Ugh.
6: Is it me? We'll when, see. In
2: this, when he wants to expand
1: we his have presence. a casting um, yeah,
6: I know, right? great.
1: you may have noticed some subtle references to supporting the show dotted throughout the episode they were real <laughs> <laughs> and the website is not fake
4: <laughs>
1: we all look forward to seeing you here again at the unseen hour tell your friends <laughs> I think that was a really, really-